Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Stories are extremely important. Stories are powerful. Stories often make the difference. That's why uh, we tend to become very loyal to certain authors. Their stories impact our lives. That's, that's even why we go to these things that have moving pictures on the screen. And uh, we buy into them because of the stories. One, uh, one man said this. I think this is a powerful statement. He made this statement. He said, we as a species are addicted to story. Even when the body goes to sleep, the mind stays up all night telling itself stories, especially if you eat pizza. Okay, yeah, all right. So tell, stories have this power to make uh, change in us. In fact, one man said this. I think this is another powerful statement. He said, uh, if you want to learn about a culture, listen to the stories. Then he says this. If you want to change a culture, then change the stories. You stop and think about how powerful a statement that is. That is a dramatic statement to us. Jesus was, uh, he, he bought into the idea that stories are powerful. In fact, we can say this about Jesus, can't we, that he was a master storyteller. He had this ability to take things around him and create these stories, these accounts that would impact their day and now our day. Jesus understood that power, but probably the clearest example of his understanding of the power of stories was found, is found in uh, Mark chapter 5. Interestingly enough, uh, in Mark chapter 5, we read a story that Jesus didn't tell. Jesus didn't tell this story. In fact, uh, what makes this account so powerful is that Jesus told, them, told this individual that we're going to talk about for just a second to tell the story. Jesus didn't tell the story. He tells him to tell the story. You know, the accounts Mark chapter 5. Jesus uh, gets in a boat. and this the, We missed this. I want to make sure you get this. Jesus gets in a boat, goes across the Sea of Galilee, eight miles, steps off the boat, and then this is what we miss. Uh, we, we know this account. A man comes running out of the cemetery, possessed by demons, a legion of demons, right? And, and Jesus throws or casts the demons into pigs. Now, we, we, what we miss in all that is this. Jesus went eight miles for one man. Because if you continue to read the account, I'm not going to read it to you, just to tell you, and we'll, we'll go somewhere else. But, but, but if you read the account for yourself, you recognize that as soon as Jesus deals with this man and gets rid of the demons out of this man, he gets back in the boat, goes back across. That was his whole business. And this is not the sermon today, but may I tell you that Jesus will go out of his way just for you. He will make a special trip just for you. Whatever your situation is, whatever your chains are, whatever bondage has caused you to be in bondage, Jesus will get on a boat, go out of his way, cross whatever he has to cross just to get to you. That's a powerful statement to us this morning. I hope it brings hope to you because that's what this man encountered. This demon-possessed man 
runs out to find Jesus. Jesus deals with his bondage, casts the demons into the pigs. The pig keepers don't like the fact that he has just ruined their business because the reason those pigs were there in the first place was that the Romans were, were uh, 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 sacrificing them in a temple that was there on the hilltop, and they were selling those pigs for sacrifices. Jesus wasn't even supposed to be there. Jews don't go where there are pigs, right? So Jesus goes, he casts the, the demons out, the pig keepers come out, they run Jesus out of town, and this now free man follows Jesus back to his boat, and he says, Jesus, I want to go with you. You've changed my life. My life is entirely different. Can I go with you? And Jesus, understanding the power of a story, says, no, what you need to do is you need to go back and tell them your story. And he gets in the boat and leaves. Then Jesus, sometime later, gets back in the boat, comes back across the Sea of Galilee, and now, after being chased away by the pig keepers, now when he sets foot on shore, 4,000 people show up with all their sick and diseased, bringing them to Jesus. My question is, what turned, what was different, what, what caused such, why did rejection suddenly become reception? And why did a group of people that expelled him now arrive on the seashore with expectation? Can I submit to you this morning that the only thing that changed was the story? The story caused the change. We think other people's stories are more powerful than ours. We, we know their stories are powerful, but we underestimate the, the power and the influence of our own story. We should know better than that because in Revelation, here's our text that will kind of take us throughout this entire series. The, the, the overarching text is this, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, which uh, I could quote to you the way I learned it, but let me read it to you out of the NIV. It says this, They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They, they overcome, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. What's that saying to us? You can go back and read the context. The context is this, is that there's a war going on and the enemy of our soul is, uh, is coming against uh, the children of God and he's combating them. And the, the writer of Revelation, John, says, listen, the way that they won their victory was this, by the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary and also by the word of their testimony, their stories created victory. Our story is important. Our story is mighty. Our story is powerful. But I want to caution you this morning because there is a challenge that we face in our Facebook world. There is a, there is a challenge that we have to address in our Instagram story, whatever they call them, what do they call that thing you do? Uh, in, in, what's it called? No, no, no. The, the storyboard is it? What? It's your, yeah, your Insta story. I don't know. There's something you can post that it's live and you just, people follow your story, right? See how much I use it? Uh, there's a challenge we face in that. There's, there's a dilemma. There's a subtle change that has taken place in our sports center society. Perhaps the, the best modern day example of the challenge we face uh, and the danger that we are coming up against is to listen to the goat. Now, for some of y'all, you're the goat. That's, that means the greatest of all time. By the way, that's not LeBron James. 
The only people that think LeBron James is the greatest of all time are those that don't really know who the real greatest of all times is, Michael Jordan. All right. Don't make me preach up in here. All right. Uh, Michael Jordan said this. Listen to what he says. He understands the dilemma. He said, maybe it's my fault. Maybe I led you to believe it was easy when it wasn't. Maybe I made you think my highlights started at the free throw line and not in the gym. Maybe I made you think every shot I took was a game winner. Maybe it's my fault that you didn't see the fa that failure gave me strength and that pain was my motivation. Maybe I led you to believe that basketball was a God-given gift and not something I worked for every single day of my life. We are highlight-driven. That's really what Facebook is, isn't it? Is everybody makes their life look perfect, and then you want their life only to discover later it was just a highlight, and that's not really what their life really was like, and they were faking it. And Okay. Um, here's the problem. is The problem is we tend to only focus on highlight reels and never become highlight real. Okay? So Michael Jordan would go on to say this. He said, I missed 9,000 baskets during my career. He said, I lost almost 300 games. He said, I missed 26 game-winning shots. Listen to what he said. He said, I have failed over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Jesus did not accept highlight reels from people. He demanded that we embrace the real part of life. Perhaps the one example that I can turn you to uh, just in passing that illustrates this better than any other is the, the account in John chapter 4 because in John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a woman who tries to give Jesus a highlight truth. Jesus is dealing with the Samaritan woman and he has this interaction with her and they're discussing life and he looks at her and he says, go and get your husband. And she tries to respond with a highlight reel. I don't have a husband. That was partially true. It was part of the story. And Jesus comes back at her and he says, you're right. You have no husband, but you've been married five times. And the man you're living with right now isn't your husband. And then Jesus says, go. And she runs back to town and she says to, him, to the people of that community, Come and meet a man that told me all about me. Jesus refused highlight stories. So from what Jesus illustrated and knowing that our story is supposed to have power and it helps us to overcome and it's, it's designed, our story is literally designed to help, give, help uh, other people overcome as well, then I want to teach you a couple things that we need to know about our stories. Based on what Jesus and, and his interaction with the woman at the well, with the demoniac man, knowing that Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says that we overcome by the power of, the, uh, of our word in connection with the blood of the Lamb, then I want to teach you some things about our stories because we have to be able to tell our stories. The first thing I want to say to you is this, is that half doesn't make whole. Let that sink in. Half does not make whole. Too often today, we don't really see the impact 
of our story on other people like the demoniac man did or the woman at the well did simply because we we do not want to highlight real. We just want to show half the story. Okay. So we want to tell half the story. We like to tell the good part of our story. Okay, you're going to see the rest of the video in here in a minute. We're playing it backwards. Because all we want to do is show the good part of our story, the highlight parts of our story. There are some issues with that that I want to share with you that this morning. The first is this, that it is the whole story that produces and leads people to healing. Half of our story leads people to hopelessness. Let that sink in. Because this is what happens if we only tell half the story. When we only tell half of our story, do you know what happens? It makes us look good. When we are willing to step up to the plate and tell our whole story, you know what happens? We make God look good. When we only tell the highlight reels of our life, all we do is we make us look like a hero. But when we're willing to share our entire story, it makes God look like a hero. That's the difference between half and whole. See, you need to understand that even though your highlight may be powerful, without sharing the backstory, it is partial. You also need to understand that your highlight may be compelling, but it's incomplete. If you don't tell the whole story, it's incomplete. I want to share with you this morning that this, there are two things that happen when you only tell the highlights of your life. When you only tell the good part of your life and make everything, everybody think you glow in the dark because you're so spiritual and make everything, everyone think you've always been as nice as you are now and to make everybody think that you're as cleaned up, you've always been this nice and clean and you never said anything you weren't supposed to say and you never did anything wrong, you never kicked the dog, you never killed a cat, whatever, you know, whatever. You just make everybody think that everything is perfect, right? Okay, two things happen when, that, when you do that. First is this, if you only tell a partial story, then people fail to understand that there is a process that leads to promise. Have you ever noticed that uh, people want quick fixes rather than uh, committing to long-term difference? Uh, If you only tell part of your story, then what happens is that people will want what you have, but they want it quickly. And so they don't, they weren't, they're not willing to walk in obedience over an extended period of time. So they'll run to altars, but they won't alter anything in their life. So, they, so when it doesn't work for them on the first time, see, they're, they're watching your highlight reel, and they think it worked for you the first, in the, at the first time. What they don't know is that week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, you kept walking in obedience, and then one day you woke up, and you're as cleaned up as you are right now, and you're as nice as you are right now, and you're as spiritual as you are right now. But if you don't show them that and only show them the highlight reel, they will walk away from the very thing that could have impacted their life because it didn't happen quickly. There is a process that we must follow to get to promise. Our half-stories make it seem too easy. So those that hear our partial story, they want this quick fix for issues that they took decades to create. And they don't want the process because we don't show them that this this is a long, arduous process. Some of us have been working on this thing for a long time. How many of you have been saved more than two years? Raise your hand. 
Yeah, how many of you have been right with God for the last 15 years? Raise your hand. All right. Okay, it's going down in number. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. How many of you would testify that you, you're further along now than you were when you first started? Please, more people raise your hand. Okay. All right, this is a process. This is a process. I didn't, I didn't show up preaching. Right? I didn't come out going, hey, let me give you a word. No, I was spoiled. I was, I was a brat. I was mean to my sister. Don't tell her I said so. Um, I shot her with a BB gun at least once. Uh, um, see, I'm telling the backstory now. See, now, now you know there's a process involved. Now, now, now. Okay, so enough of my story. Yeah. Uh, but we won't show them the process. We just want to show them highlights. I've always been like this. So then when it gets tough, they're out. The second thing that happens is that when we only tell partial stories, we fail to reveal the partnership, the partnership that leads to promise. Our half stories don't reveal the fact that our healing comes when God intervenes and we make necessary changes. Y'all missed it. I said it so quick you missed it. We don't show them, if we only show them highlight reels, we don't let them see that there's this partnership that took place, that God intervenes into our situation, and then we make the necessary changes. I can't get no help. All right, so let me break it down for you. What that means then is people watch our highlight reel and they recognize that we're walking in financial freedom, but all we want to show them is the highlight reel, but what we need to show them that is that there was a partnership that took place and God intervened and showed us that we needed to handle our stuff better, and then we went home and we made better decisions and we cut up our credit cards. I knew I wouldn't get no amens there. Okay, so... Uh, we, 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 want, we want them to see the highlight reel that there's been a relationship healing take place in our life. But we, we, don't, we don't show them. If we only show them the highlights, we don't show them that God changed our heart. And then we went home and changed our tone. It's a partnership. Can I tell you this morning that what needs to happen is that we need to let people know the part of our story is, uh, is this, but God. They need to know that they need the, the whole story. They need to know the but God part of our story. I was headed to destruction, but God. I was broke, but but God. My relationship was falling apart, but God. I was bruised, but God. They need to know the but God part of our story. But they also need to know the but I part of our story. God stepped in, but I also, leading, following the process, I changed what I thought about. I changed what I watched. I changed who I hung out with. I changed the tone of my voice. I changed the way I treated my spouse. I changed the way I worked. I changed how I did at school. I changed all this stuff because of what God did. I grabbed a hold of him, and we partnered for my freedom. If you only tell part of the story, you don't reveal that partnership. The other reason that we have to tell our whole story is this, is, and this is important, weaknesses witness. 
weaknesses witness. Paul understood that. You know the account. It's in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is what he says. He says, because of the extravagance of those revelations, and so I wouldn't get a big head. I love Paul. He said, I was given a gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angels did his best to get me down. What he did, in fact, was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift, and I begged God to remove it. Three times I did that, and then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. Listen to this. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. I'm reading it out of a different translation because I don't want you to hear it like you're hearing it for the first time because we know how to quote it. His grace is sufficient. All right, but listen to what he says. My strength comes into its own in my weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Paul understood that weaknesses witness. Craig Rochelle made this statement. I think it's a powerful statement. He said, we may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. Listen, I cannot relate to Paul if he has no weaknesses. But because Paul had weaknesses, I can I understand him and I will let him speak into my life. Listen, your neighbor will never relate to you if all they see is you glow when you walk out every morning and glow when you go in at night. They need to understand that there are weaknesses and that you have the same trials and the same situations that they face, but there is somebody that is a partner with you that's working through your weaknesses. They relate because of your weaknesses. So what am I saying to you? I'm saying this. Don't waste your weakness. Don't waste it. It's in your life on purpose. It's a gift. Your weakness gives you the opportunity to witness through telling people, I can't do this on my own, but I know somebody that can help me. And because I know somebody that can help me when I see your weakness, I know somebody that can help you. But we don't want people to know our weaknesses. We hide our weaknesses. See, I, I need to convince you this morning that people need to hear our pain. If people don't hear your pain, they will never desire your prevail. I'm going to say that one more time because it blessed me when I wrote it down. And so I don't care if it blessed you or not, I'm going to say it for me. People need to hear your pain because if they don't hear about your pain, then why would they ever want to prevail? If they don't think you've ever overcome anything, why would they think you've overcome anything? Without the pain of your story, your story not only seems impossible, because isn't that what we do? We put the impossible on display and we never tell people the backstory to let them understand that there's a way that we got there. If you don't tell them the whole story, if they don't hear your pain, they will 
they, they will not only think that your story is impossible. Listen to what happens. They will think that your story is impersonal and that it's unobtainable. So it is absolutely important for me to tell you this morning, for everyone sitting here, we need your story. People need to hear your story, but they need to hear your story a certain way. They need to hear your whole story. Your story can change the world. It can change people's lives if you'll tell them the whole thing. Can you imagine what it would have been like in, in Jesus' day if he healed, sets this demoniac free, and he tells that man to go back? He couldn't lie about his story. Everybody knew who he was, but let's just play like he lived today. On Facebook, he would have said, I've always been this blessed. That was my twin. Y'all, y'all got me confused with somebody else. That wasn't really me. And we would try to, he would try to hide the fact that's who he was. But because he told the whole story, other people were set free too. We need your whole story. Watch the rest of the story. So if you show up here on a Wednesday night during youth, you're going to see Jess lead the worship. And we go, oh, she's always been like this. Because see, we want to show the first video, which just shows that everything came out okay. But most of us don't know each other's backstory. And so we miss the process. And we miss the pain. And so we don't think it's real. Because we don't know what people came through. And so what I am encouraging you to do this during this series is this. I'm asking you to go back and think about your own story and be willing to share your story. Now, here's the, here's the dilemma. We live in a highlight-driven world. 
We don't like to highlight ribs. People get uncomfortable. Y'all weren't nearly as boisterous in that video as you were in the first video. Oh, in the first video, so cute. It is imperative for us, every one of us, to do something. We are going to have to wrestle with the real of our story. We want to show everybody. We want to show everybody the results, but we don't want anybody to know about the wreck that led up to the results. And I want to challenge you this morning that some of you, I know some of your stories, but a lot of you I don't know your stories because we hide from one another. We put on fake smiles every Sunday, and the same fake, fake smile that we put on Sunday, we take to work on Monday, and nobody's impacted by our story. And it's because we allow the enemy to shame us with our story. But Jesus said that there is no condemnation in him. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. So our story is part of who we are, but that's not who we are. That's what happened to us. That's not who we are. So we should have this ability to walk back into the painful moments of our life and share them and be open about them and tell people about them so that they understand that we've prevailed. They can look at our pain and it becomes personal to them and it, and it even becomes obtainable. I can make it. If they made it through what they made it through, then surely I can make it through what I'm going through. But people never come to the conclusion that they can make it through too because we won't share the real parts of our story because we allow the enemy to shame us into silence. And we become mute because of our mistakes. And what I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do during this three or four week series is this, is that over the course of the next few weeks is that many of us would wrestle through our own pain and our own story and we can tell it, and we don't have to be proud about it, but we don't have to be ashamed of it either. And I tell my whole story. I tell people, I, I shot my sister with a BB gun. But look what I turned out to be. My heart was broken, but look at my life now. I made horrible decisions. I was self-centered. I only thought about me. My life went off the tracks. But now look. I broke not only my heart, but I broke other people's hearts too. I didn't just hurt me, I hurt them. My life was a mess. But God. And they go, wait a minute. I get the but God part, but you were like that. Oh yeah, so if God will do a but God for you, he'll do a but God for me too. And our story communicates if we're willing to tell the whole thing. And some of you have only been telling highlights. And it's time to come to the place in your own life where you're willing to battle through the shame so that when you bring other people to Jesus, they come because of your story. I want you to stand with me this morning.
Father, this morning, this is my simple prayer. I'm asking you to help everyone in this room become brave enough and bold enough in society that says they don't want it all. They just want the best looking parts. I just pray that we would become bold enough and brave enough to share our pain so that people will also want our prevail. Father, I'm praying that we would become real with one another so that we can be real outside these walls. I pray that you would help us to be real about what we've walked through, what we've experienced, what we've encountered. I pray that we would be real so that people would recognize that there's a process that leads to freedom. I pray that people would see in us that there's a partnership that led to our freedom. We didn't just pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps with self-will and self-control. No, this was a partnership. The only reason we're here is because of what you did. And because of what you did, we made some good decisions after that. God, I pray that you'd free us from shame today. I pray that you would free us from brokenness today. I pray that you would enable us to wrestle with the real parts of our life and be willing to share them when the time is right so that others will come flying and running to Jesus, wanting the transformation they see in us. Help us to become real, I pray in Jesus' name. This is what we're going to do this morning. I want you to find a place to pray, whether that's here in the front or at your chair. And this is what I want you to do in just the next few moments. We're not going to tell you long, but in the, just in the next few moments, our mind, at least mine, I'm sure yours is the same, often acts like a movie. It plays. I, I, it's like I'm, I'm watching reruns of, of life. I'm asking you today to let that happen when you kneel. Let the story of your life play across. Now, what that means for some of us is that there are going to be moments in that where we're ashamed. And I'm asking you to stop. Every time you feel ashamed, I want you to stop right there in that in that sequence. Just stop it in your mind. The Bible says we can take every thought captive. Stop it right there and begin to talk to God about, God, I need you to overcome the shame of this moment so that I can begin to tell this part of my story. Because it's this part of my story that will allow someone else to experience freedom. They overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Some of you have great shame in your life, and I believe today that the Holy Spirit is going to set you free, and you're going to be able to, to say the parts of your story you've been unable to say. There have been blanks. There's been long gaps in your story, and people look at you and go, well, it's doesn't even make sense. How can I get to where they are? I don't understand. It's because you need to fill in the gap. But until you deal with that shame. So right now, wherever you need to go, whether it's up front or at your chair, would you just find a place to pray, to, to begin to allow that movie to play in your heart? They're going to play softly as they do. I just want you to allow the movie to play. And every time you come up against a moment filled with shame, I want you to stop. I want you to stop and ask God to deal with the shame once and for all today so that you'll be released and free to tell your story. Come on. Come on.
It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. ...are overcome by famine. There is a famine in the land of Israel. So a family, uh, this family's made up of a husband and a wife. The wife's name is Naomi, which means, uh, which means pleasant. That's what her name means, pleasant. It's a good name for a mom, right? Pleasant. That's what her name means. And their two sons, they decide that if they stay there in Israel, they are going to starve to death. So they pack up everything they own, and they move to a foreign country where there's food. Because they're hungry, right? So that's the backdrop of the story. Here's the problem though. When they arrive in this new land, the husband, the dad, dies. It's a tragic moment. Tragedy is overtaking them. They're, they're overcome with emotion and, and sorrow and they're heartbroken. And then not too long after that, the, uh, the two sons, they, they decide that they're marrying age and they get hitched. That's a West Oklahoma term for married. They get hitched. They tie the knot to two ladies that live, are there from the foreign country. The only problem is, is after they've been married for ten years, the two sons die. This is an unbelievable story. They, they, the two sons die, and once again the mom and the two daughter-in-laws are filled with sorrow, and there's tragedy, and there's painful moments. So Naomi decides that the best course of action is uh, because she suffered through all this, is to pack up and move home. And so she begins to talk to her daughter-in-laws and she tries to convince them to stay there in their land rather than going with her. One of the daughter-in-laws agrees and she goes back to her parents' home, but the the daughter-in-law that we're familiar with by the name of Ruth looks at Naomi and says, I'm going with you. And they travel back to the land of Israel. Naomi tells Ruth, she said, there's only one problem with this is I'm so old now that I don't have any more sons for you to marry, so this probably means that you're going to be single the rest of your life. And not only that, uh, I don't have any financial resources to make this a stable, a stable uh, environment for you. We're going to suffer. But Ruth goes anyway. Let me, let me break this down. This is the, uh, the, the real story. You have a family that encounters famine. They're struck with financial disaster. They make a major move to a foreign land. They conduct a funeral. They mourn the loss of a father. They have two weddings. There's disaster and two more funerals. The family falls apart. There's another major move. And then there's financial ruin. What a story. How bad did it really get? Well, listen to Naomi's own words. This is what Naomi says about her real story. See if you hear maybe you in the way that she responds. 
to this real story. When she's encountered and endured all this, this is what she says in Ruth chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Naomi speaking, she says, they've arrived home and, and the people come out and she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. In another version it says this, The strong one ruined me. Uh, the, The story of Naomi's life features all the most stressful things in life that you can ever experience. They tell us that that, that, that there's several major stressful moments in life. One of them is a major move. One of them is a funeral. One of them is a a marriage. Don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. Uh, One of them is financial struggles. This woman faces all of that. And we, we know, we're familiar with her story. Even if you've never read it, you're familiar with it because many of you are familiar with it because you've experienced it. In fact, when I read to you what Naomi says about her own story, the fact that she feels like she's going through these emotional moments where she feels like God has been against her and God has made her bitter and God took her out full and now brought her back empty and God has ruined her. The truth is is that some of you this morning feel just like that. When you're real about your story, you've come to the conclusion in emotional moments that maybe God has ruined you. Has ruined you. So Naomi shows us in this this painful encounter and moments through her life, these things that she's enduring, enduring, she teaches us some lessons that we need to learn today. One of the things that she teaches us is that uh, and this is going to sound like a broken record because I don't even know how many times I've talked to you all about this, but we still do it anyway, so I'm going to bring it back up until we get it right. Naomi shows us that in the most painful moments of our life, we tend to sever relationships that we need. We, we tend to push people away. She, she tries to convince her daughter-in-laws to stay behind. One of them stays. So when Ruth steps up and says, I'm going with you, I'm with you always, I'm loyal to you, Naomi, in her own pain, tries to sever that relationship and tries to convince her again, go back to your own people. You don't need to be with me. And what this account teaches us is this, is that you cannot face your real story alone. She thinks she can. She tries to be all by herself. But what takes place, and and I'm going to share it with you, is that you cannot face your real story alone. What? What, what, why is it that some of us continue, even, I, I don't know what it is about our pain, I don't know what it is about our tragedy, I don't know what it is about our circumstances, but we tend to make matters worse by cutting everybody off. What I want to say to you this morning is that uh, while we keep sending people away and invo- avoiding people, we, we fail to realize that they are there to help our real story become a healthy story. If you missed everything else I said this morning, you've got to catch that. We try to push people away that God has sent to us that will help us turn our real story into a healthy story. 
That's why they're there. And yet we continue to try. The very one who could give you the gift of hope, we chase them off, it seems like. Um, So now when we do that, now we're not only aching, we're alone. Now we're not only injured, we're isolated. So, So Ruth stays with Naomi and they travel back to Israel. And here's the key that we miss. We miss the fact that, uh, I'll let you go read it for yourself, it's, a, it's several chapters long, you can read the encounter, but what takes place is when they arrive home, Ruth ends up in Naomi's in-law's field. His name is Boaz, and over the course of the next few weeks, Naomi helps Ruth learn how to harvest from his field, but also how to harvest his heart, right? And, and so... Finally, this is the end of the story. Boaz marries Ruth. Stay with me now. Okay, you got the, you got the characters. There's Naomi, who's bitter, who's broken, who tries to get her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to stay with her people. But instead, Ruth refuses to allow Naomi to deal with her story alone. So she comes home with Naomi, and she ends up in uh, Naomi's uh, in-law's field. The guy's name is Boaz. Boaz marries Ruth. And together, Boaz and Ruth have a baby, and his name is Obed. You go, well, big deal. It's a massive deal. Because Obed is the father of Jesse. You go, well, big deal. Jesse is the father of David. See, y'all just looking at me like I'm crazy. If there's no David... If there's no King David, then there is no King Jesus. Because Jesus comes down through the line of Obed and Jesse and David, and he's of the genealogy of that that family line. And so, so that is the power of that. So here's the problem. If you desire to be alone, that is the enemy's attempt to cause you to forfeit your destiny. Because you want to be alone. Your desire to be alone, when you dismiss folks, you are dismissing destiny. Some of you have experienced so much hurt, so much pain, that you try to chase everybody off, and you try to hide. And when you are hiding, and you refuse to allow people to get into your story, your real story becomes a painful story, and it becomes a tragic story. But there's no healthy part of your story. The fact that, that, that Ruth decided, I will not leave you, I will stay with you, you can't go through your story by yourself, then all of a sudden there's health that is produced because she refuses to allow Naomi to do her story alone. See, some of you, you're experiencing a famine that would not be fatal except for the fact that you're all by yourself. Some of you are dealing with brokenness that would not break you, but it's breaking you because you're all by yourself. Some of you are battling depression, not because of what you're going through, but because of the fact that you've isolated yourself to the degree that now depression sets in and you can't fight this this battle all by yourself. You cannot and you should not face your real story alone. Listen, I just want to tell you this morning, your, your real story will not turn out right if you're all by yourself. Because you were never intended to do your story by yourself. Who have you cut off? Who have you dismissed? Who have you let go that was supposed to turn your story into a healthy story? 
but we want to do it by ourselves. The, the second thing that this story tells us is this, is that you are not just handling your story. How you handle your story will determine the outcome of someone else's story. This is an incredible story because even though Naomi was hurt and she was in so much pain that she changes her name to Mara, I'm bitter, somehow she has the insight necessary that she decides that she's going to help Ruth's story turn out better than hers. Even though she's in pain, even though she's, she's overcome with, with d- distress and, and, and sorrow and God has ruined me, somehow in all that she turns and she literally scripts Ruth's life so that Ruth's life will turn out better than hers. I wonder how many of us are so torn up and so consumed by our own pain and so consumed by our our own struggles and so consumed by our own nightmares that we allow other people to go through the painful moments and we don't step in when God has assigned us to step in to turn their story to good. Okay. See... Naomi wasn't sure that she would ever experience any change, but she refused to allow her pain to transfer to Ruth. If I stopped and asked you this this morning, if I asked this question, how many of you can say your life didn't turn out exactly like you wanted it to? I'm not asking you to raise hands. Some of you gone through some stuff you didn't sign up for. Some of you feel like you got dealt a bad hand. Some of, you, some of you just think that God's been against you from day one. Uh, you've encountered these heartbreaking experiences that cause you to check out and to quit. But, but we, we can take Naomi's lead. And even though she was bitter, she refused to allow that bitterness that she was experiencing to become transferred to her daughter-in-law. She made up her mind that she wanted Ruth's life to turn out better than her life. And even though she was in pain, she steps in and she helps See, here's what we need to understand this morning is that the pain of your story doesn't have to become the pain of your children's story. You need to understand that the pain of your divorce does not have to be something that you transfer into the the relationships of your children's future. We need to understand that the, the brokenness financially that we've encountered doesn't have to be the map by which we allow those around us to walk through as well. We can step in and say, hey, I made some bad decisions. Let me tell you about my real story. I did some things I shouldn't have done. I made some choices I should make. If you listen to me, I can help script for you and steer you a different way so that you won't have to encounter what I encountered, our real story. How we handle our real story helps others handle their story. You're never just dealing with your story. You're dealing with the stories around you. You don't have to allow your brokenness to saddle somebody else with brokenness. This whole thing teaches us this, is that our story reaches, but our our story also teaches. That's what our story does. Go back and read the story, and it's easy to come to this conclusion. You can, by by this story, we learn that you can help others know how to not only handle adversity, but our story can teach them how to handle opportunity as well. Because if you go back and read, what you discover is that if it hadn't been for Naomi, Ruth would have probably never met Boaz. 
And not only would she not have met Boaz, she wouldn't have known how to interact with Boaz. Okay, okay so, so here, can I say it again? If there's no Boaz and there's no Ruth, and they don't meet one another, there's no David. Are y'all with me? This is, a, this is an incredible encounter. And, and, and Ruth just thinks she's there to get some, some wheat because they're starving to death. And Naomi helps script her life and shows her she's not only teaching, she's not only, her story's not only reaching Ruth, it is teaching Ruth. She's teaching her how to handle not only the brokenness, but how to also handle the opportunity. Let me, let me show you what she teaches her. Here were her instructions. Glean in his field only. Naomi was smart. When, when, when Ruth walks into that field and begins to pick up some wheat and some, some of the harvest, the, har, the, the, the hired hands, Boaz sees her and asks the hired hands who she is, and they tell him, and so he begins to tell them to leave a little more. So Naomi was born in the morning, but not that morning. She was like, okay, if he's leaving extra in the field for you, you stay in his field until he runs you off. What's she doing? She's scripting how to handle an opportunity. Then she, when the, the end of the harvest season comes, Boaz is going to throw a harvest party. And so Naomi steps up and tells this to Ruth. Go clean up. Go, go take a bath. Put on your nicest clothes. And, and, and you know she's, she's working it right here because then she says, and put on some perfume. Take the curlers out of your hair, do your makeup, get your nails did, and go on down there. And then when you get there, when you see the opportunity and Boaz is about to go to sleep, go lay down at his feet and sleep the night at his feet, indicating that she's available for marriage, that she's unattached. What is literally happening is that Naomi is scripting for Ruth. So, so what, what it teaches us is this, is that how you handle your, handle your story will teach people to become either bitter or better. She's literally teaching her how to handle opportunity. See, how we handle our, our pain can teach the people coming after us, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that, that we either are trying to perpetuate our pain or we're teaching them how to turn their pain into opportunity. Our story teaches. So here's my question. If somebody does you wrong, will you, the way you handle your story teach the people that you're in relationship with to be hurt too? Or how to allow what takes place to shape them so that when their opportunity comes, they won't miss it. Okay, so let me, let me say this. What I'm saying to you out of all this is this. We need to find people who have real stories. And we need to attach ourselves to them. If, if your story is this, I don't know how to handle money then you need to find somebody that has a real story on how to handle money and attach yourself to them. They will teach you not only what to, not to do, they will teach you what to do. You say, well, I struggle in relationships. Then you need to find somebody that has a real story that has gone through some tough times in relationships but come out on the, on the 
the right side of it and go attach yourself to them and say, teach me how to do this. It, it blows my mind that young couples seem to attach themselves to people that don't know how to do relationships. And they take all their advice from people that have never had one successful relationship all, of, all their little lives, and then they wonder why we're struggling too. It's quiet up in here on Mother's Day. See, because I don't know if y'all figured this out. Moms, and not just moms, ladies, know how to script for us. We need people in our lives. Who do you have in your life that's helping you position yourself for opportunity? There's a, a historical story that I think is powerful. It's about Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison, uh, as a young boy, uh, came home one day from school, and he had a note from his teacher that he did not read. In fact, his teachers instructed him, don't you read this on your way home. This, story, this, this note is only for your mom to read. Don't, you don't read it. It's not for you. It's addressed to your mom. He comes home. He hands the, the piece of paper to his mother. His mother begins to cry as she reads it. She reads it out loud to Thomas Edison, and this is what she read. She said, this is what this note says, baby. It says this. Your son is a genius. This school is too small for him. We don't have enough good teachers to train him. Please teach him yourself. Years and years later, after Thomas Edison has already gone on to be th that generation's most noted inventor, his mother passes away. And he's brokenhearted and he's sorrowful. And over the course of the days after her funeral, he begins to dig through family stuff. You know how we do, we go through family stuff. He's going through family stuff and he opens one of the desks in, I guess, his mother's house and in the back corner of the desk, there's a little piece of paper that's folded up and he recognizes it as the note that he brought home from his teachers that day. He opens the note up and he begins to just bawl. For the, 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 the historical description is that he wept for hours. Because this is what he read. Your son is unable to think clearly. He is confused. So we won't let him come to school anymore. That was what the note said. Edison wept for hours and then he finally writes in his own diary about what he's just encountered in that note and he writes this. He said, Thomas Edison was a... Was a uh, an addled child, listen, that by a hero mother became the genius of his century. She scripted a different outcome for her son because she recognized I can either perpetuate my pain to him and I can transfer my pain to him or I can position him for opportunity and advancement. And my question is simply this for you this morning. Who are you attached to that's helping you learn how to walk through life and handle adversity and handle tragedy and handle pain so that it doesn't become the thing that sticks you and causes you to, to become bitter and angry and upset and live your life thinking, and everybody else is against me. Naomi said, I have been done wrong by God. I am ruined by God. God has done me wrong. He's emptied me out. But I see Ruth, and Ruth has a chance. So what I'll say to Ruth is, I will make sure that your life is better than my life. And she scripts for her a different outcome. Who's scripting for you? 
Who's speaking into your life? Some of you have some folks speaking into your life and all they can speak is death and tragedy and hurt and pain. And they are literally shaping your future by their words. And what I am saying to you is some of you need to find some other voices in your life. Somebody that will look at you and say, yes, it's not going like you thought it was going to go. But listen, God's still got a plan. And God's still on the throne. And God can still turn it around. And He can make it better for you. And I believe in you. And I, I, I think there are better days for you. And then my second question is who are you scripting for what are you saying to your kids you're a nobody you're nothing you'll never amount to anything you're dumb what are you saying to your spouse because listen wife you wife you can you can script for your husband he will live up or down to your words you're a bum you're lazy you never follow through and then we get into counseling situations and the wife looks at me and Julie and go, he won't ever follow through. Duh, you told him he wouldn't. It is quiet up in here. Husbands, you script for your wife. By assuring her of your love, you're scripting for her that she doesn't have to worry, that there's stability. By, by scripting for her security, you, you make it possible for her to trust and give you her whole heart and to, to depend on the, on, and trust on the fact that you're always going to be there and that you have her best interest at heart. You have the ability to script for her. Bosses, you have the ability to script for your employees. Who are you scripting for? You say, well, there's no biblical proof for that. Yes, there is, and I'm done. The power of life and death is in our tongue. Naomi scripted for Ruth, and Ruth's life became healthy. We all have real stories. The difference between whether they become healthy stories is who we allow to speak into our story. And the difference in somebody else's story becoming healthy is determined strictly by whether you're willing to step up and help them navigate the moments. Father, this morning, we recognize that our real story can become a healthy story. But in very large part, it is determined by who we allow to stay connected to us. And I sensed very strongly all week, Father, this is what I felt like you said, was that there are way too many of us separating ourselves from people that will determine whether our story ends right. I'm going to say that again. I feel like you told me that there are quite a few of us in this room this, this morning that are separating ourselves from people and for our good. And if that means letting our guard down, and walking back through the painful moments of our life and sharing them in a very real and honest way, then Father, I pray that you'd help us to do that. Because
because I want our stories to turn out healthy so that we have the opportunity to transfer health instead of hurt to those coming after us. Father, I pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me very, very quickly this morning? We're not going to linger here long, but I have sensed this all week long that the Lord wants to do some healing this morning. If you're here this morning, you'd say, Steve, I have a painful story. I feel like God has done me wrong. He's emptied me out. The tragedy that I've endured, nobody ought to have to endure that. And, and I feel like God did that to me. If He didn't do it, He at least allowed it. And I'm in pain. But here's the, here's the kicker. I'm in so much pain that I've been trying to do this all by myself. I, I have pushed people away that were probably assigned to me to bring help, but I just keep pushing them away, pushing them away, pushing them away, pushing them away. And I need God to break in and give me the strength to be real. Because I don't want to miss my destiny and I don't want to transfer my pain. If that's you, very quickly, would you step out and come and stand? I've been trying to do this all by myself. All by myself. I know it takes guts to step out in front of people. But I, I've been trying to do this all by myself. I wouldn't let anybody know my story. I wouldn't let anybody know my pain. I've just been faking it until I make it. I'm just smiling, saying I'm blessed. But the truth is I'm in a lot of pain. A lot of pain. And I'm tired of doing this all by myself. Why is it always the ladies, the honest ones? Because we got to be tough. The truth is this. We're not alone. Okay, it's more than a song. We're not alone. We're not alone because God is with us through it all, but here's another reason we're never alone. God sends us people. In fact, He's positioned you in a family called Passion for these types of moments. So this is what I want you to do. I, I know we got ladies praying, but I feel like the Holy Spirit's going to release more than that. If you feel led to come and pray for one of these individuals, would you just come and join us as just a, a show of strength that you're not by yourself. You're not by yourself. I'm here with you. I'm here with you. Come on, then we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're not in this fight by ourselves. Now, this is what I need you to do. April's going to sing softly, but while she does that, I want the rest of you to pray. I want you to pray for these that were bold enough to come up and say, I'm in pain. I'm in pain. Would you do that with me this morning? Come on, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
introduced me to your love. You picked up all my pieces, put me back together. You are the defender of my heart. And when I thought I lost me, you knew Put me back together You are the defender of my heart And when I thought I lost me You knew where I left me You reintroduced me to your love You picked up all my pieces Father, we come against every voice that would speak death and destruction and hopelessness and brokenness and ruin. We come against it in the name of Jesus. We ask that you silence those voices that rise up and against, against us in accusation, that you would silence them once and for all. But we don't want to live in a vacuum or a void, so I pray that in their place you would raise up voices of hope and raise up voices of destiny and raise up voices of triumph and raise up voices of purpose and people would surround us and begin to speak life into our situations life into our situations and our story our real story would also become and be transformed into a healthy story 
And Father, I pray for those of us that have experienced brokenness and heartache and hurt. I pray for those that have been done wrong. I pray for those that have been through emotional heartache. I pray for those that have gone through financial strain. I pray for those that have gone through uh, relational breakups. I pray for those that have gone through sickness. I pray for those that have gone through uh, moments of death and uh, moments of tragedy. God, I, I speak over all of those that have experienced those kind of things. And I ask you this morning to help us to push past our pain and help us instead to reach out to those that are around us and position them not only to deal with tragedy but I pray that we would learn how to position those around us for opportunity God if we've been transferring pain transferring heartache to our kids to our spouse to those that work around us and it seems like we're constantly speaking death even if we're bitter I pray that this morning you would do a change in us and every time we begin to open up our mouth and to allow death to come out of our our lips I pray that instead you would arrest that moment and instead we would begin to speak life so that those around us their life will turn out better than ours help us to carefully deal with with those stories around us that we are called to shape. May we be like the hero mom who scripted Edison's life and may we begin to speak a future and a plan and a hope into those that are dealing with tough things. And I pray you would connect us connect us this morning I pray because we are not supposed to do our story alone life together is better and I pray for those that have isolated themselves I pray they would be surrounded may we run to each other's rescue may we rally to each other's pain to produce health. I ask you to accomplish this in the mighty and powerful and the wonderful life-giving name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. You can be seated for just a moment, but before you do, would you please look at your neighbor and say, I can handle your real story. been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.
Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Real people with real stories. I uh, grew up uh, in western Oklahoma, and one of my memories of my childhood is driving down gravel roads, uh, listening to AM radio. Now, some of you have no clue that that even exists, and it would depend on what time of the day it was, whether you could actually listen to anything. But uh, I remember uh, distinctly that one of my favorite things to do was to... uh, when the radio was on, was around noon, uh, and I believe it was station 1000, the local news would come on. I didn't care anything about the news, and most of the time still don't. But at the end of the news, there was this segment that came on with a very distinct voice. It was Paul Harvey. And Paul Harvey would come on and tell the rest of the story, right? Uh, the, the premise was is that uh, most of us know the end of the story. We just don't know all the, uh, the process leading up to the highlight moment that we all know. And he would begin to talk about somebody that we were familiar with, but he would begin by telling the backstory, leading it up. And then when he would finally let the cat out of the bag, we'd go, oh, I know who he's talking about. We all like to know the rest of the story, the part that leads up to the highlight until it's about us. We just want everybody to know that we have always been as, we, as good as we are right now. We want everybody to think that our story's been perfect up to this moment. We don't want anybody to know what it took to get to where we are now. Uh, today's real story is one of those stories. You know the end of the story. You may even be familiar with the beginning of the story, but because we focus so uh, much and so intensely on the end of the story, we fail to recognize the steps and the processes that were crucial to get to there, to that spot. So let me see if I can uh, uh, throw out the story in a way maybe you don't recognize it. I'm not Paul Harvey, and I don't have his voice, but uh, maybe I can get you there. It starts like this. This was an intelligent, a highly intelligent young man. You would describe him like this. He was passionate. He was dedicated. He was on a mission. In fact, most people that knew him uh, that he ran with in his circle would have said this. He was on a God mission. He was so committed to that mission that he becomes the poster boy, the face of his cause. He, he's the one that everybody looked to to, to, to kind of be the, the pace setter for his cause, for his m- mission. And he arrives on the landscape of our consciousness uh, the very first time inside of a mob. There's a mob that's gathered. They're, they're picking up rocks. They're throwing rocks at a Christ follower to put him to death. And uh, this guy was so... Uh, such the the pace setter for the movement that that while they're throwing the rocks they literally take their coats off I guess they couldn't throw as hard with their coats on they take their coats off and they bring it to this young man and they hand him their coat so that they could throw the rocks harder and if you go on uh, that's in Acts chapter 8 if you go on and read a little bit further in Acts chapter 8 it tells us that this man um, was in full agreement with what the mob was doing 
Then you continue to read down chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, it tells us that this same man was so passionate about what he did, it reads like this. It says that he began to wreak havoc on the church. To wreak havoc on the church. Finally, here's the rest of the story. Here's the part we know. This same young man has a face-to-face encounter with this Jesus that he's been persecuting. He's riding to go kill Christians, and the Bible says that a bright light came down from heaven, knocked him off his high horse, blinded him. He has this encounter with Jesus. He's converted, and now because he's been converted, he wants to tell everybody because he realizes he's been fighting God. There's only one problem. The problem is now, and rightfully so, the Christians are highly suspicious of this young man because this young man is the one that was killing them. Wouldn't you be suspicious? Yeah. And so Barnabas has to come along and vouch for him. And now Paul starts his ministry. What we would do is this. If we were Saul or, or Paul, uh, who, who became Paul, they changed, his name was changed when he had an encounter with Christ, we would only want to tell the part of the story about meeting Jesus. I don't want anybody to know the rest of my story. What I want to do is I just want you to know about the encounter that I've had with Jesus, and I want you to know that because I had this encounter with Jesus, my whole life has been changed. That's what we would want to do. But Paul wouldn't allow that to happen. Uh, we, we would highlight this, that he became the most prolific writer of, in the New Testament, writing over two-thirds of the New Testament, that he was one of the most influential men of his generation. And even if you really stop and think about it, because he did write so much of the New Testament, he is the most read author on it, that mankind has ever known. He, his ministry was marked by miracles, uh, some crazy stuff around his ministry. We would highlight all that, but Paul would not allow that to happen. In fact, on more than one occasion, uh, he would tell the beginning part of his story. Uh, uh, Paul constantly reminds us of how his story starts. One, uh, the, the one I want to read to you is probably the most insightful, I think, out of his, uh, his rehearsals of what his life was like before Jesus. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verses 12 through 17, it says this. It says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even, listen to what he says, even though he's reminding himself and reminding all those that were reading this, this letter and the churches around, he says, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a, tra- a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I was the foremost. One version says it like this. I was the chiefest. I was the chief among sinners. I was the chief among sinners. I was the worst one there ever was. He says, I am the foremost of all. Yet for this reason, I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul seemed to be so willing to tell and to recount and to revisit his less than stellar past that's not how we operate today we only want people to know the good stuff 
But he would go back and again, over and over and over, he, he would tell about what he had done. He says that he was a blasphemer. He says that he was a persecutor. He says that he was a violent man. He describes himself as the chief among sinners. I was a bad dude. But then Jesus turned my life around. His willingness to tell his real story teaches us some things about our story that we need to know because we have to be willing to tell our story. We've talked about that for two weeks now. We must be willing to tell our story. And so he teaches us some things. The first thing that he teaches us is this, is that you will either own your story or your story will own you. You will either own your story or your story will own you. Paul had a choice to make. He could try to do this. He could either mask his story or he could master his story. And he chose the latter, to master his story. His willingness to own his story resulted in, the, in all the stuff that led up to what had happened in his life. All the pain suddenly because he owned his story becomes a platform to point people to the answer in life. Simply because... He owned his story. He never hid who he had been. He owned his story. He could preach to them about forgiveness and redemption and second chances because he was willing to tell all of his story. Uh, the truth is, is that all of us have a bloody past. Come on. Touch your neighbor and say he's talking about you. Because some of y'all don't think I'm talking about you. All right. All of us have parts of our past that we wish we didn't have, that we wish we could do over. There are all, everyone, everybody under the sound of my voice has a part of their past that they're not very proud of. That's just the reality. That's real people with real stories. The difference between us and Paul is this, is that too often, because we are silent with our story, our story is allowed to become lethal rather than allowing our story to become leverage. You need to understand that what Jesus has uh, brought you through, the steps that He's brought you through, that yes, the salvation moment and, and all that you've experienced since you've encountered Him, but also being able to look back and point people to what you've been through, that is leverage that He's brought to your life so that you can impact those around you. See, the truth is this morning is that your story will either imprison you or it will position you. You need to understand that we know this. We can quote this. One of our favorite scriptures to quote is this. God will turn all things, everything the enemy meant for bad, for, for evil, for harm, God can turn it for our good. Right? We know that account. We know that story. We know by his track record that that's true. Here's the dilemma. I, I, I wrote it down like this. Is so often the good that, that, would, that has happened in our life that would turn others to God is overlooked or unknown because we refuse to tell and own our own story so that they have no idea that we had anything in our life that needed to be turned. Did you hear what I just said? Because we refuse to own our story, we refuse to tell our story. And because we refuse to tell our story, most of the people around us don't even know that we've been through anything that God had to turn and redeem. And so they think we've always been like this, so they don't know how to get to where we are. We need to share our story. Too many of us are owned 
by our story. We are constantly, and because, because we're owned by our story, this is what happens. We're constantly looking over our shoulder, afraid. We're afraid that somebody will find out. I almost started to ask you for a show of hands. I decided better, better against it. It would be better if I didn't do this. How many of because don't, don't raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass somebody. But how many of us struggle with this idea that if somebody ever finds out who I really am, they're going to think I'm a fake, I'm a fraud. I'm not really who I say I am. That is an attempt of the enemy to keep us, that is, that is an attempt of the enemy to keep us from telling our story. It's this, this concept of we're, we're owned by our story rather than owning our story. And so we're afraid and we're, we're, we're fearful that somebody might know and it causes us to, to worry that our past will become our present and it forces us into hiding. But Paul refused to do that. Paul refused to hide from who he was so that he could show off who he had become. You need to understand that Paul teaches us that if you don't tell your story, somebody else will. And when they tell it, it won't be the way you would have told it, and they will make stuff up. Have you noticed? They'll make it worse than it was, and they'll leave some details out. And they'll, Yeah, if you don't tell your story, somebody will. You need to own your story. The other thing by owning our story that it does is this. It, it disarms... The enemy. I'm afraid that too many of us give our, the enemy of our soul ammo because we won't tell anybody our story. So then what happens is, is we give him the ammo to use against us because about the time we want to testify, about the time that we want to tell somebody about what God has done in our life, he will remind us of our story and it becomes ammunition and he silences us. Paul wouldn't allow that to happen. Paul disarmed the enemy by telling his story. The enemy could never use Paul's past against Paul because Paul would tell it before the devil could. In every setting, in every city, he would walk in and say, hey, I was the guy. I, that's right, I was him. I'm the one that was killing everybody. I'm the one that was on the crusade. I'm the one that was a blasphemer. I'm the one that was a mean guy. And he would tell everybody. And so he instantly disarmed the enemy. And a lot of you are unable to tell your story because of fear, but, but by not telling your story, you actually arm the enemy and, and then he simply tells our story for us and it produces shame rather than salvation. When we own our story, God can redeem our story. Did you hear what I just said? When we own our story, we, the, at that moment, God can redeem our story. So we've got to learn. We've got to, we've got to learn to tell our story truthfully. How do, how do you know if you've owned your story? Can I tell you? You'll tell it truthfully. And you'll tell it with no finger pointing. Okay, I want you to go back and notice that Paul never said that his past was somebody else's fault. He never blamed the other religious leaders of his day and said they influenced me this way and I'd have never been this angry and I would have never killed anybody and I wouldn't have been turned like this if, if it hadn't have been for so-and-so. He never did that. He owned his story. He never pointed any fingers. He, he never said, you know what, the temple that I attended for my education taught me wrong. He, he never blamed his family. 
He simply refused to play the blame game. And what I want to say to you this morning is that too many of us never own our story because we want to point fingers at everybody else. So we never own our story. My life wouldn't have turned out the way it's turned out, and I wouldn't have gone through what I've gone through if my dad had just loved me more, if he'd just been kind to me and just expressed his emotions to me. I wouldn't be as messed up as I've been. If, 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 my, if my, 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 my school teachers had believed in me and thought I was smarter than I, I was, I would have risen up to their expectations and I would have been more successful if I had a boss that was really nice to me treated me fairly and didn't overlook me, then life would be better. We point fingers. Paul was able to freely share his story because he took ownership of his story. He never ran away from any part of his story. He found freedom because he wasn't trying to assign fault. I think you missed that statement right there. He found freedom because he wasn't trying to assign fault. Some of us are so busy laying blame that we can't leave bondage. We want to blame everybody else. We want to make it everybody else's fault except ours. We don't want to take ownership or responsibility for our actions, for our decisions, for our choices, for our part in the story. And we remain in change because because we are consumed with assigning fault. But freedom comes when we quit pointing fingers and we own our part in the story freedom comes I'm not saying that everything that happened to you was not somebody else's fault some of you have had some bad stuff happen to you that people have done to you and they should be blamed but you can't spend the rest of your life blaming them to the point that you don't say you know what that's what happened to me that's not who I am we walk into freedom the third thing that we've got to do is we've got to understand is that uh, this is how we know we're, we're uh, owning our story is that what we say and what they see lines up. What we say and what they see lines up. Let me see if I can explain. Paul's story was powerful because the people could see that what he said was true. Paul demonstrated that Jesus had in fact changed his story. I wonder how many of us turn our real stories into fiction for people simply because we don't live what we say. Okay, it's going to get quiet. We tell our stories of before and then we make claims that Jesus has changed us. But when they watch us, they don't see any change. And so they, so they go, they discount what Jesus has done, and we can talk about what Jesus has done all we want to, but they revert back to what we were because they see no change. You cannot just say your story has been changed. You must show that your story has been changed. The reason that Paul's real story is real powerful is because he lives down his own story. He lived it down. He proved to them that from the moment I met Jesus, I'm not the same guy I used to be. He backed up his claims of change by demonstrating change. 
I, I encourage you to own your story but, but, uh, and, and to tell your story and disarm the enemy. But this morning I want to challenge you that when you testify to change, you better live it. Uh, it doesn't work to claim that God has turned your story of pain to healing if you snap at the slightest provocation because you're still hurt. Okay, I knew I wasn't going to get no help. It doesn't work to claim freedom from brokenness if your outlook is dark and downcast. Well, Jesus has saved me from all the brokenness of my past. And then you talk to somebody and, and, and it's doom and de despair and agony and this ain't going to work and life, life will send you lemonade or lemons and you don't have the ability to make lemonade and, and, and it's a bad day and woe is you and the world is ending and my life is over and I, and I hate everybody. And, and then you claim that God has healed you of your brokenness but what you say and what they see doesn't line up. And so they discount what Jesus has done. Okay. Um, your claims of redemption can quickly be discounted based upon the merits of our actions. We have to live what we say. So if we're going to get together and claim that Jesus has changed our story and there was this, this moment of, of revolution in our life where I was this way before Jesus and now I met Jesus and so everything is going to be different now. If you're going to claim that, then when you go to Starbucks, you've got to be nice. And when somebody does you wrong, you've got to, ask, you've got to act differently than you would have before you met Jesus. Because some of y'all, before you met Jesus, if somebody did you wrong, <clears throat> you, you, could, you could unleash the fury. Uh, uh, do you still have those arguments in your own mind sometimes? When somebody does you wrong, do you ever, I talk to God like this, come on, let me just tell him off one time. I, I, I know what to say. I'm like, quick, I can tell him. I, I've got it all worked up. Just give me one chance I can do it. I'll, 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 I'll. Right? But if we're going to claim that change has taken place, then there must be change in what they see. So when they do us wrong, the Bible says this, we turn the other cheek. And we take it. We allow the defender of our soul to defend us. Some of us, because we don't live what we say, we discount the real part of our story so that when we say that we've met Jesus, it becomes fiction. You just made that up. One man said this. I think it's a powerful statement. He said, he said this. He said, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Because a lot of us talk a good game, but we don't live a good game. And I am challenging you this morning that we have to come to this place where we own our story, that we're not afraid of our past, that we're not so ashamed of our past that we can't tell the entire story because it is that past that propels us and positions us to teach people that our story can be owned and we step up and we own our part in it. We don't blame anybody else. We take, we take responsibility for our part of the story and I could have done this different and I made this choice here and it was my responsibility 
responsibility alone and it wasn't my, my parents' fault and it wasn't my siblings' fault and it wasn't my co-workers' fault. It wasn't the dog's fault. It wasn't the neighbor's fault. It was my fault. I made this choice. And as you own it, and you begin to illustrate with the life that you're living, they recognize that your story is real. And when they recognize that your story is real, this is the other part that's important, they recognize that what your story is about is relevant to them. Because when your story becomes real, they can relate to you and they go, if their story is their story and what they've been through and what they've endured and what they've experienced, if they can make it and Jesus has intervened and redeemed that part of their life, then surely in my situation with my story and my pain and my hurt, Jesus has something to do and say about me as well. Real stories lived out by real people. Paul says that you cannot just listen to me. You can watch me. I want you to, over the course of this week, here is your assignment. I want you to live in such a way that your life lines up with what comes out of your mouth. Now that can go one of two ways. Right, I'm challenging you to make sure that you do. You choose the right one. I, as you talk to people with with words this week, and because we do it, we don't we slip it in there. How you? I mean, I, I do. You're around people. You don't know whether they know Jesus or not, and they ask you questions. Don't you try to slip stuff in? Like, hey man, how's your, how's your week going? Blessed. That's an attempt, right? Isn't that an attempt to get them to say blessed? What does that mean? What do you mean blessed? Well, let me tell you what blessed me. All right, we're looking for opportunities. Some folks are going to stumble into work tomorrow morning because of what they did last night and tonight, and they're going to be all bleary-eyed, and they're going to be hungover, and they've been worshiping at the porcelain throne, and all that kind of stuff, and you're going to have an opportunity to say something to them. But if you say something to them, you've got to make sure that the rest of the week, when the boss gets on your ever-loving last nerve, that you live the change. I want to encourage you this morning. Most of the people in this room have real stories that need to be told. You need to own your story so that it disarms the enemy. This is a safe place where you can tell the entirety of your story and we won't look at, down, at you down our nose and go, well, I, I loved you until I knew about you. Y'all remember last year, he's coming back this year, the last Sunday in June, but I brought my roommate on my trip to Israel to speak. Anybody remember LaVon Davis? Listen, if I can room with a guy that murdered two people for two weeks in Israel and not look down my nose at him and, 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 and consider him my brother, then I can handle your story too. We, we have this chance to handle and hold each other's stories in a safe way so that we can tell the entire story and it will produce health for us. Amen? So this is your challenge. This week, this week, I need you to own your story. Don't leave anything out. In the privacy of your own home, and nobody around, I just, 
I started to do this now, but I knew you'd get uncomfortable. I was going to give you a piece of paper and a pen and allow you to write your story out, but I knew some of you would draw pictures instead and play tic-tac-toe. <laughs> so I'm going to give you this assignment for home. I'm asking you, take a, about five to ten minutes this week and sit down and write your story out. Don't leave anything out. Nobody's going to see it but you. Write it out. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Write it all out. And then I want you to take a few moments in the privacy of your home or wherever you choose to do this, and I want you to spend some time with Jesus and talk to him about what all took place up to the point that you met him, and I want you to own it. I want you to take responsibility for it. I had a part to play in this. And then I want you to allow, I want you to go back and read through your story, and I want you to allow him to show you how that story can be used as a platform to reach others. And then there's the part, hard part for the rest of the week because I'm hoping you'll do that today or tomorrow. For the rest of the week, I'm asking you to live up to what you say Jesus has done. He's changed me. He set me free. He delivered me. I'm a different person. I'm not the man I used to be. I'm a better husband than I used to be. I'm a better dad. I'm a better mom. I'm a better friend. I'm a better employee then live up to that. So that without even saying a word, people will go, there's something different about them. And they'll inquire. Father, this morning I pray that together you would challenge us to own our story. Father, there are some people under the sound of my voice, I know this is true, they still can't seem to tell their story. Shame overtakes them. Fear overtakes them what they've experienced, what they've encountered throughout their life was so painful to them that they continue to stay silent. So Father, I pray that over the course of this week as we take time to write our story out, leaving nothing out, leaving nothing out, we can be brave in this moment because nobody else will see this. We, as brave as we can, we write the entire story out. I pray that in that moment we would have a a revelation that this is our story. And we would own our part of that story. And out of that, I pray that you would produce freedom and victory. And that all shame and fear and embarrassment would be lost. God, I pray that out of that exercise, what would take place is we would have individuals that would disarm the enemy. Because there are some of us that have been looking over our shoulders and we're scared. We're afraid that people will really find out who we really are. And I pray that this week we would find that we're disarming the enemy by being able to tell our story. We would no longer be ashamed. Most of all, Father, I pray that you would allow us to live what we say. God, I know a lot of the stories in this room and there are many of us that claim that you have changed our life and we're different and we're better and we're not the same. We're not the same. But some of us struggle to live that out. And so at the drop of a hat, we get angry. At the drop of a hat, we have a bleak outlook. On the, uh, at the drop of a hat, we lose all of our hope. So Father, I pray this morning what you would do is you would help us to live up to what we say. If you've really changed us, if you've really set us free, if, you're, if we're really different, 
if old things are gone and all things are new and we're a brand new creation, then I pray that you would allow us to live up to that. And when things happen, I pray that we would respond in a different way. We would love in a different way. We would be better spouses. We would be better parents. We would be better children. We would be better friends. We would be better neighbors. We would be better classmates. We would be better na- uh, uh, employees. We would be better. And people would look at us and go, there's something different about them. And I want what they have. I pray that you would use our stories, our very real stories, to touch people, to change people. And we'll give you glory for it and honor for it. In Jesus' name. This is what I want you to do. I want you to touch your neighbor real quick. Before we pray over our graduates this morning, I want you to touch your neighbor and say, I'm watching you. Come on, tell them. I, I, I'm, I'm watching you. I'm watching you. I'm watching you. I want to see you live up to your story. I, I want to live. I want to see you. Li- come on, give them this one right here. Give them, give them that one. I, I'm, come on, tell them. Tell them I'm watching you. When you don't even know it, I, I'm watching you. Uh, when you don't even know it, I, I, I'm watching you. Today's a special day. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. William Wallace, uh, John Wayne, this one's just for me, Nature Boy. Rick Flair, look, woo, see, some of you know, all right, I knew I was in the right place. Uh, Harriet Tubman, Wonder Woman, Superman, and the soldiers that we celebrate on Memorial Day who ran towards danger instead of away from it. All right, let's give, a, that's for the soldiers, not for Ric Flair, all right, yeah, just make sure. These are all bigger-than-life heroes that grace our history books and our screens. And we spend a lot of attention, it seems like, uh, following those kind of people and watching those kind of people. And we fail to realize that uh, Scripture is full of heroes. In fact, uh, in Hebrews, the, the writer of Hebrews takes time to talk about and point out heroes. And so all the Bible scholars in the room know that there's one whole chapter given to heroes, right? Hebrews chapter 11 begins to list these otherworldly kind of folks, people like Abraham and Gideon and Noah. And it just, just 
just heroes, they're icons. And uh, so these men and women that are listed there, they subsequently feel Sunday school lessons and sermons all the time, right? And so we begin to think about these guys that had, they didn't have superpowers, but they had super faith, right? But then what we fail to realize is that then in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer comes back and he throws the gauntlet of being a hero at our feet. And I want to read that to you this morning because I think it's an interesting challenge. It says this in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, beginning of verse 1. It says, Since we have such a great crowd of men of faith watching us from the grandstands, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back, and especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. And let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. Another version says it like this. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. I'm glad that the writer of Hebrews, after Hebrews chapter 11, comes into chapter 12, and he begins to address uh, us, because if we're not careful, what we do is we begin to overlook the fact that there are everyday heroes around us because we put all of our attention on these superheroes. We fail to realize that there are everyday heroes around us. And they don't have superpowers and they don't have like really cool costumes, but they make the grade as a hero. That's why today is so important in the life of our church because I think it's essential that we take time to stop and realize that our real story, we've been talking about our story. The fact is our real story, your story and my story, would be filled with a lot more pain and a lot more panic, uh, come on now, and a lot more problems if it hadn't been for everyday heroes in our life that rushed in. And they may not have saved the day, but they saved our day. Anybody want to testify just a minute? There were people in your life that caused your story to turn out differently because when you needed them, they rushed in and they saved your day. And some other things. Y'all let you, okay. Uh, so, uh, they saved some things. And so the writer of Hebrews presents us with some things about heroes. I begin to think about heroes and what the writer says there. And, and there's uh, some things he tells us point blank. There's one I want to mention to you this morning that he kind of infers, and I'm going to make the same inference uh, as, I, as I tell you this, but I think we can back it up that the writer was telling us some things about heroes. The first thing that I think he tells us is this, is that heroes have habits. Heroes have habits. Uh, I, I know that um, in, in the, the, the account that I read to you, we find ourselves, most of us think about ourselves in the role of the runner. We're the one running the race, and there are these people in the grandstands that, that are cheering us on. But I, I think that deep down inside of us, the truth is we all want to be heroes. Don't you, don't, don't we all want, the, the ladies don't want to be the white knight, but all the men want to be the white knight and ride in on the white horse and be the hero of the story and so, just me? 
Okay, okay, well, okay, well, all right, then maybe, maybe you want to be the valiant warrior that comes in and wins the impossible victory, right? You want to be uh, John McCain, uh, uh, the, the unlikely one that rallies and yippee-ki-yay and wins the war, right? I mean, and he's not supposed to win it and wins it. Some of y'all are looking at me like you don't even know who I'm talking about. That's all right, that's all right, uh, that's all right. And, and, but then here's the problem, reality hits, and our life seems, our story seems to get the best of us, and we go timidly into the night, uh, and we don't think we can be heroes. So how do you get on the hero list? I begin to think about, how do you get on the hero list? I think um, uh, heroes are made by habits. That's how you get on the list, is you develop habits. Uh, if you go back and you examine this list, and, and I'll let you do this on your own time, in Hebrews chapter 11, what you discover is that it was men and women, it, it was men and women who, who basically had habits that they did over and over and over again that produced heroic moments in their life. If you think about our everyday heroes, those around us, they, they become our heroes because they have habits. And so I started thinking about that. How do you boil all that down for us? And I think Jesus did it best because Jesus boils it down in John chapter 15. And he begins to teach us that heroes are heroes because they sacrifice. And he says this in, in John chapter 15 verse 13. He says this. He says, no greater love has any man than the man that lays down his life for his friend. The greatest act of heroism is when you uh, lay your life down for your friend. And I, I'll just be honest with you. Every time I've ever read that verse, I think about somebody dying for somebody. But maybe we ought to look at it a little different this morning and think about it like this. He says that you become a hero. No greater love has any man than when he lays his life down. So maybe I, I just want to say it like this morning that, that maybe we lay our lives down when we set aside desires and set aside our own goals and set our own, aside our own dreams to make somebody else's dreams and desires come true. So another way to say that then is this. If you look at the heroes in Hebrews or if you look at the everyday heroes around you, they are heroes because they practice these habits. Here are some of the habits of sacrifice. They stand up when everybody else sits down. They speak up when everybody else is silent. They walk in when everybody else in your life has walked out. They are present in your life when everybody else is absent in your life. And because of that, they become heroes because of habits. Habits. Heroes habitually do these things over and over again. When everybody else abandons you, they come rushing in over and over and over again. And they lay their lives down daily. They make sacrifices and they become heroes. Here's the bottom line. Here's what heroes do. Heroes set the pace. They show us how to run. But they also show us the path. They show us where we run. They become heroes because they run the race. They are our heroes because they show us where to run. I'm going to say that again. They became heroes. They, 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 they became heroes because they ran the race. But they become our heroes because they show us where to run. That's why there are heroes. The second thing I think that uh, the writer teaches us is this, is that heroes practice handoffs. Heroes practice handoffs. Uh, heroes run, but then as they uh, are competing in the race of their own life, they take their place in the stands so that somebody else can run. 
Are you with me? Now, not only do they set the pace, and not only do they show us where we need to run, they do this. They, they clear the path for us. They remove obstacles that allow us to get in the race ourselves. That's what heroes, uh, heroes do. They, they make it possible for us to run. They, they run their race, and then they hand us the baton, and they, they literally wish this for us. We want you to run faster and further than we ever did. That's what heroes do. Uh, it, it, see, here, here's our dilemma. If we're not careful, then we miss this. The Hebrew writer says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. What's he talking about? Heroes. We're surrounded by them. And, and, and then he says this. This should cause us to run. When we recognize that all these great men and women are rooting for us and cheering us on, it should cause us to get up and run our race. That's what it should cause us to do. But then he says this. He says, due to their example, then we should run a certain way. And he says it like this. He says, we should lay aside the sins that entangles us. So in other words, he's saying this. Following their example, we should run clean. Did you get that? Why? So then that others will follow us. Okay, I think we missed it. He says we should run a certain way. He says we should deal with all of our sins, all of our entanglements, all of our hang-ups, all of our issues, and so that we, we've gone, we begin to run our race and we're running clean for this purpose, so that now that we're following their example, we run our race in such a way that now we can practice handoffs. And give the race to somebody else. See, we are running, uh, uh, and they are cheering for us, and they're hoping, our heroes are hoping that we will run in such a way that we will become someone's hero as well. Right? That's what, that's what heroes do. We're running because of heroes. So if we're running because of heroes, then it begs this question that we have to ask. If, if I'm running my race because of somebody's example, then who's running their race because of my example? That's the question we have to deal with. It's not enough just to honor heroes and be thankful for heroes. The question that we need to wrestle with is, I'm running because of them. Who's running because of me? I knew it'd get quiet on that. So, so, so who are you going to hand your baton to? Because the day's going to come when you're going to have to hand off the baton. Who are you, how are you running and who are you running in front of that will follow you in the race? Who are you going to hand your baton to? Heroes practice handoffs. Who will you lay your life down for on a daily basis trying to position them so that they will be able to go further in their walk with Christ than you have gone in your walk with Christ? Who's watching you read? Who's watching you pray? Who's watching you worship? Who's watching you witness? Who's watching you walk so that now when you're out of the way, they will go further and worship harder and witness more and pray more and read more? Who's winning their race because of the fact that they're watching you. The third thing, last thing I want to say to you this morning is this, is I think that the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that heroes should be honored. I, uh, I added the word now. 
Heroes should be honored now. The Hebrew writer takes time to acknowledge the people in the stands. He spends time uh, examining their, not just our race, but he, he begins to examine their race. And he, he honors them and he calls them out by name. He lists them as heroes of the faith. And over and over, he just, this guy and this guy and this lady and this lady, he lists them all and he's honoring them. He spends time saying that it's necessary to honor those kind of folks because they've paved the way. I'm convinced that one of the biggest issues that we have in life is this. Listen very carefully. I think one of the biggest issues that we face in this day and age is that most of us are so focused on our own race and our own struggles and our own challenges and our own dilemmas and our own problems and our own successes that we have forgotten the truth of this account and we never stop to thank the people that helped us get there. We fail to honor those that deserve honor. Paul comes along in Romans chapter 13 and he demands that we give honor. He says, I demand that you give honor to whom honor is due. He makes a demand of honor because he recognizes that if we're not careful, we'll go all the way through life and we will never stop and say thank you and we will never adequately and sufficiently honor those that have gone before us. I have taught you in the past this. Those that you fail to recognize, you will fail to celebrate. And those that you fail to celebrate will eventually exit your life. And so I think it is absolutely essential that we take time to recognize, to think about how did we get to where we are? Why am I running as fast as I'm running? Why am I experiencing successes that I'm experiencing? It's because somebody ran before me and they handed off and they sacrificed and they laid their life down so that I could go further and faster. Because, listen, I don't want my heroes to exit my life based upon lack of celebration. I I just want to say this to you this morning. We don't have to wait until they get up into the stands to honor them. We don't need to save honor for eulogies. Have you ever been to those funerals where, where you, somebody gets up and they eulogize somebody? And you're like, well, I didn't know that because you never talked about them until they died. Like you make it sound now like they're gone. They, they were your best friend and you knew them better than anybody. And they made all these ch- significant uh, sacrifices for you. And I never, I was with you 24 hours a day, all, every day of your life. And I never even knew you knew them. So why do we wait until funerals to honor? I think that it, as we reflect on our real stories... That it is absolutely appropriate and essential to stop and honor those who have helped us continue our race. Uh, there's an old uh, um, little story. It, it's, it says this. It says, if you ever see a turtle on a fence post, you can come to this conclusion. It didn't get there by itself. <laughs> right? That's, the, that's our real story. None of us got to where we are now all by ourselves. We always want to talk about the people that helped us get to the bad places in our life. We need to stop and talk about the people that got us to the good places in our life. And give honor to whom honor is due. That's why uh, we've invited heroes to its in service this morning with us. And some of you um, were able to uh, convince your uh, heroes to come and attend service with you this morning. Not everybody. We recognize it's a tough weekend for that. But, but some of you were able to convince. I, I called one set of heroes and begged them to come. And they were like, nope, we don't do that. We don't want anybody even to know. That's just the way they are. 
but I was able to, all it did was allow me the opportunity to express my gratitude to them. This is what we've done. We've invited uh, you, some of uh, different ones have invited their heroes to, to be here this morning. And we have a, uh, a small token. It's just a token of our pre- appreciation. Um, but let me, can I, can I be straight up honest with you? It's a prop. That's all it is. It's just a prop. The only reason we're doing this is not so that uh, you will be amazed by the gift because um, it's, it's a t-shirt. And so it's just, I mean, I know you've got t-shirts, but it's a, it's a special t-shirt, but, and it's a meaningful t-shirt. But that's not why we asked you to come to get you a t-shirt. We asked you to come, and we're using this as a prop to do this, to cause us to stop and to articulate our gratitude and our thanks so that we won't miss the opportunity to celebrate our heroes. And so if, you're, uh, if your hero is here this morning and you got one of the shirts, this is your opportunity. I'm gonna, we're just going to stop right, in, right here. Now, some of you go, well, I didn't get a T-shirt to give anybody, but now I realize there's somebody in the congregation that's my hero. You can, it's not about the shirt. It's about expressing gratitude. So if you have the shirt this morning, I want you to present it to your hero. Talk to your hero for just a moment. Uh, uh, express your gratitude. Come on, move, 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 move. Worship team's going to come and get in place after they do this. Julie, you taking care of them? I'm, all right. We love you guys. We honor you. I'm going to go do one more. You got mom? Yeah, I got you. Thank you so much. We're not going to hurry this. This is important stuff. We are thankful for you. I want to say this to you, and I'm going to say it this way, and I'm going to come back to it for just a second here at the end. You have made our real stories complete. But there's another hero that does more than that. The writer of Hebrews comes back and he concludes his discourse on heroes by drawing attention to the hero. Because we want to practice hero worship this morning. But there's a difference between hero honor and hero worship. We honor you. But listen to what he says. He says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Who both began and finished the race that we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. The exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross. Shame. Whatever. 
And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. And when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. The long litany of hostility that he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Jesus is the ultimate hero. And while our everyday heroes deserve our honor, Jesus and Jesus alone deserves our worship. He had the fastest time in the world leading up to the Olympics. He was in the semifinals of the 400 meter race, and it was an important race. Four years earlier in 1988, he had to withdraw because he had injured his Achilles tendon about 90 seconds before the race started and had to withdraw. Now, four years later and five surgeries later, he's back on the starting line in the semifinals holding the fastest time in the world. Derek Redmond gets ready for the race. He's ready to roll. He's going to be redeemed by the fact that he's now going to probably win a gold medal. And the gun starts, and he takes off. And everything's great until after about the first hundred meters, and all of a sudden, his hamstring severs. And he collapses to the ground in pain, this is the Olympics. He's crying. The, run, the other runners keep on motoring. The, the medical staff runs out there to try to help him, and he pushes him to the side, and he begins to, he, he stands to his feet, and he tries to limp. He tries to crawl, and he just can't seem to make it. And all of a sudden, there's this big dude that comes out of the stands, and he's wearing a hat that says, just do it. And the security guards try to stop him, and he pushes him aside. It's Derek's dad. Derek's dad runs out to the track and he embraces his son and they're weeping together and he puts his arm around his son and he physically almost carries him to the finish line. And everybody was moved and everybody was crying and it, the stands erupt. But I'm here to tell you this morning that is the perfect illustration of what Jesus did for us. He came out of the stands got in the race, won the race, and then turns around and comes back for us and helps us finish the race. That's literally what he does. So Jesus deserves worship because he is the hero. Our story is complete because of everyday heroes. But our story is eternal because of one hero. And I think what we ought to do to end our time together today before Pastor Andrew comes and closes us out, I think we ought to just practice a little hero worship. So I want you to stand on your feet and you've honored your everyday heroes, but now would you turn your attention to the one that deserves all of our worship, all of our attention, and let's give him adequate praise and thanks for what he's done in our life as our worship team leads us. to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.